Welcome to the Jesus Famous Youth Teachings Podcast. Our vision is to see Jesus famous in the lives of the youth of our church. We want to see youth have opportunities for them to come to know Jesus in a complete and whole way and be united together in love, and most importantly, strengthened in the moments of discouragement. Jesus Famous Youth meets on Tuesday nights at 6 p.m. and has a middle school program available on Sundays at 11 a.m. Now, let's get into our teaching. Well, I was told to embarrass the Strouds because it was their birthday last week. Um, Should we? Should we embarrass them? Emily saying no? No. If it was just Ethan, I'd say, or Smeathan, I would say, if it was just Smeathan, sorry, rest in peace, Ethan. Um, If it was just Smeathan, I would say yes, but since Emily's saying no, just give him a big hug and tell him happy birthday. So, all right. Yeah, Emily, you don't want to come up here? No. No. Okay. Okay. All right. (laughs) Okay. Cha, cha, cha. All right. Strouds. Strouds. Okay, well, guys, um, we are going to be in Mark 10, as you see up there, 17 through 31 tonight. Uh, so get out your Bibles and get ready for that. So. Uh, this will be kind of our last kind of individual teaching. Uh, next week, as Luke announced, it's our last Tuesday of the month. So, sorry, uh, it's our last Tuesday of the month. And so, come on out. I know it's our parent night, but we literally have like five or six parents signed up for it. So, those parents will hang out with their small groups and get to know the small group leaders because apparently they're concerned. But it also brings me a lot of like, you know, encouragement that most parents know what we do here. And you guys go home, apparently, and act like little Christians. So they like, they like, like what we do. So ultimately, it's our parent night. But guys, come on out and, uh, come on out and um, <laughs> uh, just like a normal last Tuesday of the month, we're going to have pizza. We'll also have, we'll probably do like a, chi- like a chicken salad, like Caesar salad or something like that. Um, and uh, some sodas, that kind of stuff, all that good stuff. No, probably lemonade. Probably lemonade. Sorry. Yeah. You know how expensive soda is? You guys, I am, I, am, I am 33% over budget already this year. And like, it's just, and we still got a lot left this year. So, all right. So anyway, so come on out, invite your friend. Like this is, that's our, this is the night that you want to bring a friend that may be asking about church and asking about your faith and why you believe what you believe. Why do you spend every Tuesday night here? Um, it's just a good time to invite that and be a part of that, okay? So, and then starting in September, I'm actually, we're going to do uh, a study through the Ten Commandments, okay? Uh, so we're going to take Deut- uh, Exodus tap- chapter 20, but really do like a broader view of what God, his real heart behind those commandments are. I've been studying up on it, and I'm really excited because it's not just some rudimentary rules that God gives us, you guys, but it actually, and this is a little, little spoiler for you, a little pre-trailer you know, trailer is it's actually, it's a marriage contract between God and his people. And so I'm, I'm really excited to show you through, through basically the first five books of the Bible, the books of Moses, how God's heart for us is one of just such restoration, one of such like, you are worth it, you are enough, and I'm gonna show you that you are. And that's our God's heart. And he, the Ten Commandments just, just shouts that. And so I'm so excited to teach that to you guys over the next 
you know, a couple months. And so that, that'll basically kind of finish out the years to study through the Ten Commandments. So get ready for that. Maybe read ahead and uh, gear up for that. So, but tonight we're actually going to be in Mark chapter 10, verse 17 to 13, or 31. So I'm actually going to have Jenny come on up and read the text tonight. Yeah. So some of you may be saying, like, wait, Jenny, she graduated. She did. She did her year of not coming to youth group after graduating, and, and she gets to come back and be a part of this. And uh, you want to use that mic over here? Yeah. yeah. And uh, you got it? I don't know. There we go. We're good. Um, and so she's actually coming back. She's going to be shadowing with Abby tonight and the freshman girls. So yeah. don't know if that's where she's going to stay yet. We always going to like, have a little trial run, but we'll yeah, see. She might not. She might not. But uh, Jenny was one of, one of my, my younger first youth kids when we first came here. And so it's great to have her back now and to see her tonight. It was weird seeing like her and like the McGlassons here tonight visiting. We were like, I was like, this is like, there's a lot happening here. Um, a lot of emotions going on. But uh, go ahead and uh, have your Bibles open, guys. There to verse 17 of chapter 10. And go ahead, Jenny. Okay, Mark 10, 17. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel. Who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. So Father, we give this time to you. (laughs) We give this time to you. We thank you for how real and powerful your word is. Thank you so much that a story like this, a parable like this, can just impact us, God, if we, if we allow it to. And so, Spirit, I pray that you would be here moving in our hearts and minds, and I pray that these youth uh, in this room would be open to hearing what you have for them tonight. We give this time to you, Lord. Thank you for bringing Jenny as uh, next generation of leaders here at JFY. And, uh, Father, we just pray that there just continue to be growth and fruit for many, many years, God, um, through this youth ministry. We give it to you in your name. Amen. All right, so story of, you can clap, it's okay. So story of the, the, the rich young ruler, probably many of you have heard this before. I mean, who's, who's read this before? Who's heard this before? Who's seen the veggie tale on it, right? The what's in the Bible with Buck Denver, who's like, right, Sunday school. 
So we get in this, like, literally, like, you guys, when we read the Bible, we get in this, like, almost lullaby state. When we read something like this, and we, we've read it so many times, we've heard it so many times, and we, we just kind of go, yeah, that's what Jesus said. You know, it's kind of like the story of Abraham sacrificing Isaac on, on the mountain. It's like we read that, and we're like, oh, he had such faith. Like, wow, that's, that's amazing. No, that's sick. Like, like, literally, he was ready to kill his own son. on the, Like, we forget. Like, we don't get into this. And literally, Jesus tells this young man, like, you need to go sell all your possessions, give them to the poor, and then come follow me, knowing that the young man could not do it. And then the example of, literally, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter heaven. Think of that example. Now, I've heard sermons where a pastor or a teacher is like, well, there's this small gate in the Jewish side of the, you know, that where they call it the eye of the needle and a camel would have to wiggle through to get into it. Like, no, one thing, you don't wiggle into heaven, all right? You cannot wiggle into heaven. There's no wiggling in, right? Jesus literally, in his metaphor, meant it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who idolatries and loves money to get into heaven to be a part of God's kingdom. I mean, let that sink in. Jesus is making it very clear that this young man, even though he followed many outward type expressions, he could not give up the idolatry of money and riches. And even there's other parts of the gospels that describe this story where we know that he's a ruler, that he has power, probably has fame or some type of popularity. Jesus looked at this young man. It says that he loved him, but he loved him enough to tell him the truth that no matter how good, many good deeds you do outwardly, you will not get to heaven unless you live a life of sacrifice, unless you live a life that is willing to give up your idols and what you love for my name's sake. It's so clear. And when we put it that way, it sinks in a little more, right? It sinks in just a little bit more than just some story, some veggie tale story that we've read a hundred times. And so with that, I got to give you a couple of my, my famous memes, right? Like, love this one, like... Sell everything you have and give to the poor. Then come follow me. Oh, no, wait. You have your earbuds in. You can't hear me, right? Like, I thought you guys might like that one. Um, that's actually a famous Rembrandt painting that they put earbuds in the kid. Um, and then the other one, I like this. Rich young ruler. How do I get into the kingdom of heaven? Give away all your stuff. All right, you keep all your secrets. <laughs> How does that work? If you guys are Lord of the, Lord of the, uh, Lord of the Rings fans. But ultimately, this story, it, it, it depicts for us um, the real contrast that, that, that we have to make as Christians of like, where is our love? Where is our dedication? Um, where is our devotion? Like, who, who are we willing to sacrifice for? And what are we willing to sacrifice? So I have up on screen there, this, this DCD. So this man, C.T. Studd, right? What a cool name, right? S-T-U-D-D, C.T. Studd. He was one of the great missionaries of the, the late 1800s, early 1900s. Um, he was a British man that actually went, came from a very wealthy, wealthy family, went to a very prestigious school, and actually became like a world-famous cricketer. Think of like a major league baseball player, right? He, he was making million, you know, thousands of dollars, equivalent to millions of dollars today, traveling over the world, playing for the British cricket team, right, the national team. And yet he, then he became a Christian. He, he felt the call of Jesus, realized that there are places in the world, places in, in China and the Congo and Africa and the Amazon where, where men and women were dying and going to hell because they did not know Jesus, and it captured him. It captured him more than all the fame and the fortune of being a cricketer ever would. He went into the mission field. It started in China. His father then passed away and left him a great inheritance, huge, like the equivalent of hundreds of millions of dollars in today's world. All right? 
<coughs> C.T. Studd funded his mission organization and then gave the rest away. He gave the rest away to, to other mission organizations, to the poor, to the needy, to, to organizations within in Britain. At this time, he was married to a, an Irish woman who was also a missionary in China. She had actually moved back to, to England to, to lead the, the, they called them the commanders in England. That was a mission group that, that focused on orphanages and uh, those that were addicted to opioids and alcoholism and things like that. And he gave it all away. And the man lived in China and in the Congo and just lived a radical, radical life for Jesus. He's awesome. Like his, his, you can't find his book in publication anymore, but you can find it printed. And I found this little bookstore in New York and it sent it to me. But it's basically what he would do is put this sign. He'd put this sign up in like where his, his base of operation was, whether in the Congo. And he'd have these kind of like pirate type signs because he was like the man's man's missionary. Like he was kind of a brute. Like the DCD literally stands for don't care a darn unless it's about Jesus. Like literally his, his mission was, was no, it's, it's just all about Jesus. It doesn't matter what it costs. It doesn't matter what, what you're called to do. You do it because Jesus did everything for you because he called you to something and you're called to do it. Like there were, there were stories of him literally getting in fistfights with, with these kind of sissy missionaries that wouldn't go to the places he would go to. And he just beat the crud out of them in a pub in, in like, because they were just afraid. And he's like, no, Jesus, like, Jesus died for you. You should not be afraid. There's a story where he's in the Congo in the late 1900s, or I'm sorry, early 1900s, and he's preaching to this tribe in the Congo that, that were known for cannibalism. And he was literally in a place of, he, he wrote, like, like, I was afraid that if, if the Spirit was not with me, they would eat me that night. Right? And so he's sitting there preaching, and as he's preaching and telling them, and it's being translated about Jesus, a lion walks into the village. Like, like a lion is ready to attack. He's in the middle of, of the African Congo. And the story goes that he held up his Bible and his pistol and, and started preaching and in the name of Jesus, telling the lion to go away. And the lion ended up going away. And what it did was built this reputation amongst the people that this man is preaching about a God that, that scares away lions. We need to listen to him. But, I mean, C.T. Studd was what, exactly what his name said. He was a stud for Jesus. He loved Jesus, and he's willing to die for him. He spent the last 15 years of his life away from his wife because his wife was called to England, and he was called to China. And so he spent the last 15 years of his life like, loving his wife, being dedicated to her, but yet they were called to Jesus. So he was even willing to sacrifice that relationship to die on the mission field for Jesus. A couple of his quotes there. Some wish to live within the sound of a church and church bells. I want to run a rescue shop within the yard of hell. Love that. Oh, so good. See, what we see here is a, is a, is a, this is a contrast. We see the story of the rich young ruler in Mark 10. Someone that could say, I'm holy. I've, I've I followed this half of the commandments, right? Don't murder, don't commit adultery, honor your mother and father, father don't steal. The, the outward ones, the ones that are evident, right? If you killed somebody, you're a murderer. It's pretty evident, right? You steal, you're a thief, you know, you lie, you're a liar, you tell stories. The, the thing is like the outward expression of who this young man was, was, was very holy. But yet Jesus looking to the heart of the man went to the place of belief, went to the place of what, where do you truly worship? What do you worship? And told him, like, you need to get rid of that idol. You need to get rid of that thing that is holding you back. And he couldn't do it. And then in contrast, we have a man like C.T. Studd and actually thousands like him. You can find missionaries like Jim Elliott and, and, and just thousands of men and women who've given up all to follow Jesus. Jim Elliott, you know, the, I don't know if you guys have seen the movie The End of the Spear or, or any of his books. But, like, 
Like, he, he coined the phrase, you know, he is no fool who can give up what he cannot keep to earn what he can't, or to, to get what he cannot earn, right? Like, it's just this idea that, like, there, there's no foolishness in the acts of those that would give up all for Jesus. And so we see this contrast, and I wanted to lay this before you guys because the fact is, this will come to you at some point. This story of the rich young ruler will be a place in your life that Jesus will ask you to give up something. Jesus will ask you to sacrifice something for him, to to step deeper into faith, to step deeper into your relationship with him. He will ask you. He'll look deeper than your outward appearance. He'll look deeper into your heart, into who you are, and he'll say, you need to give that up. And you either have a choice to give it up like a man like C.T. Studd or to, to kind of hang your head in shame like the rich young ruler and walk away because he knew he couldn't give up his riches, his power, his fame. And so I lay this before you guys. This is the, the context of tonight's teaching. It's the context of, of a milestone that you will come to in your Christian faith. And I hope that every young person in this room that calls themselves a Christian will start saying yes to Jesus now and the little things. So when that big one comes, when Jesus calls you to give up something big, you can say, Jesus, I've trusted you with all the little yeses, so I'll trust you with this one. See, ultimately, guys, what it is is Jesus has a narrative for you. He has a story for you. He has a narrative for you that, that is, is special for the purpose that he's made you for. And kind of another way to frame the question is, will you trust the narrative? Because the fact is, God will let you not trust the narrative. And a lot of times when we see that example through the Old Testament, we see that then the narrative gets kind of messed up. I mean, God is faithful and he's just to redeem those things. But man, we can cause a whole lot of harm to ourselves and those around us when we don't trust the narrative. So just to frame it that way to you guys, can you trust the narrative? Can you trust God when he says, I have this for you, but you need to give that idol up. You need to give that thing you love, that thing you're worshiping up so that you can be part of this narrative that I have for you. And that's really what he's laying out for us tonight. So continue on now as we get into the scripture of, the, of, of this teaching. So verse 17 through 22, Jesus says, um, or he started on his way and a man comes up to him. He falls on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asks, what must I do to inherit, good, inherit eternal life? <clears throat> this man, this rich young ruler, is asking the right questions. He's bowing before Jesus. He's, he's admonishing Jesus' authority as a rabbi, but also as more than a rabbi, someone who knows the, the words or the gift of eternal life. And then Jesus answers, why do you call me good? knowing that no human is good. And so there's something special. This rich young ruler sees that there's something special in Jesus. He's not just some random rabbi or some religious leader of that day, but he knew that Jesus was good. There was something special about him. And then Jesus answers, no one is good except God alone. So you must, be, you must understand that I am God, Jesus is basically saying. So then he says, you know the commandments. You should not murder. You should not commit adultery. You should not steal. You should not give false testimony or lie. You should not defraud, you know, and then honor your mother and father. Basically, Jesus is saying, here's the five commandments that are outward. Here's the five commandments that show and build a relationship within people. Okay, think about it. If we're a community, if we were like a commune of people living together and we were all murdering each other, it wouldn't work very good, right? Or we were stealing from each other or lying, right? Or we were stealing each other's spouses or donkeys. Like the thing is like, like it just didn't work. And so outwardly, this rich young ruler, Jesus, could look at him and say, you've done these five commandments to build the culture, to build the the community of God that that I want from you. But see, I know something deeper. And then he declares back to Jesus, all of these I've kept since I was a boy, right? I've, I've done everything that you just laid out. And then Jesus looked at him and loved him. See, guys, when Jesus calls us deeper, 
and he calls us to a place of faith and he calls us to a place of sacrifice, it's in love. It is in love and it hurts. And it's like, no, I'm not okay with this, God. Like, like I don't wanna do that. I don't wanna give that thing up. And sometimes it's a good thing. Sometimes it's a, an amazing thing, but yet God is still asking you to give it up. But he's doing it in love because he has something better for you. He has part of the narrative that you can't see. And he says, one thing you lack in verse 21, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Now, it's not just the act of giving to the poor that is saving this man. We get that, right? You guys get that. You're all smart, Bible-believing kids here, right? It's more than just giving a sandwich or giving five bucks to a homeless person. But it meant something to this man, to this, this rich young ruler. That giving away was a sacrifice, was I'm killing part of, of who I am. I'm killing part of my identity. I'm killing something that I've earned or been given to me, my, my stature and, and everything that I hold dear. You're asking me to give up. And in verse 22, at this man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. So we see this narrative that Jesus is laying out, and we can understand truly that, that it wasn't just about the money, but it was about an idol in this boy's life. So what does this tell us about God and man, you guys? As Jesus lays this out, this little section of the story, well, first off, it tells us that God loves us in our brokenness, but will not compromise despite our brokenness. Jesus loves you right where you're at. Like wherever you're at tonight in your faith journey, whether you're, you're on one spectrum and you're like on fire for Jesus and this is your faith and you spend time with them and you are growing and maturing or you're on the other spectrum, you're like, well, I'm here because my parents are making me and my little brother is here and so I have to watch him and like, that's why I'm here. Wherever you're at in that spectrum, just know that Jesus is meeting you where you're at. He's meeting you where you're at, okay? Like that's the God that we love, but he will not compromise his calling for you despite that brokenness, despite where you're at. Jesus will continue to call you deeper. He will continue to be who he is despite the condition you find yourself in tonight or in whatever season. He loves you so much that he will not compromise his character, you guys. God sees past our outer layers of action and hypocrisy to call the inner belief and idolatry. Again, this rich young ruler had the five commandments that were about building community, but yet inwardly, what he truly believed and what he truly idolized, what he truly worshiped was his wealth, his stature, and Jesus called it out. See, God wants every part of you, and he will not compromise that desire. We read in the Old Testament that he's a jealous God. Like I was talking about for, in the next teachings through the Ten Commandments, it's a marriage commitment. It's a marriage com- commitment between God and his people. And just like a, a husband or a wife will be jealous over the love of their spouse, Jesus is jealous over you. God made you. He created you. He loves you. He created your narrative. Like I taught last week out of Hebrews, he's the pioneer and the perfecter of your faith. He knows your entire story, and he will not compromise that for the littlest bit of you not being his. He wants every bit of you guys, and yet we have to make that choice. And then what does this tell us about man? Well, man desires the garden, okay? And what I mean by that is the garden of Eden, We desire a relationship with God. We desire that peace that Adam and Eve had with God before sin entered, right? Heaven, peace, security, wholeness, and salvation. But we also desire our kingdom here and now. I do want God. I desire God. I desire every bit of him. I desire to go deeper and go go more into him so that I will see more of him, so that I will walk more by faith, so that I'll be more effective. But man, I still struggle in the flesh. There's still days I wake up and I want what Josh wants. Right? I struggle in the flesh, I struggle against the world, I struggle against the devil. 
And so ultimately what this tells us about man is that this rich young ruler wanted Jesus, wanted eternal life, but he also wanted his kingdom, guys. And see, we all have to find ourselves in that and ask ourselves, man, what kingdom am I truly going for? Am I going for God's kingdom or my own kingdom? And I don't think this is one big choice in your life. I think this is a daily choice, guys. I think this is a daily choice of waking up, saying yes to Jesus and no to self. Saying yes to the things Jesus is calling you to and no to the things that you just desire. I think it's a lot of little yeses, a lot of Jesus kingdoms every day rather than your own kingdom as you grow and mature, okay? So as we go on now, he continues in the story where he says there in verse 30, 23 and 20 through 27, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard is it for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God? Like basically just an exclamation, man, it is so hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. They have all the wealth, they have all the kingdom, all the power, all the prestige right here. It is so hard for someone with that material good, with, with that material comfort to truly give that up. Uh, my wife and I both, and, and by two different people, were asked this week, um, so are you shipping all your stuff over to Thailand? And we both looked at them in different times. We're like, no, actually, we're getting rid of all of it. We're basically moving to Thailand with a backpack. And they're like, all of your stuff? It's like, yeah, all of it. I mean, one thing, most of our stuff is all Craigslist and hand-me-downs and you know, Salvation Army. But like, the fact is, it's, it's basically going away. It's, it's, it's no earthly good to us anymore. There's so much of it that, that we just don't need. There's so much of it that, that, that will just rot and dust and will have no earthly value even in 10, 20 years. What, is, what are we keeping it for? But the idea here is that, that those that, that find such idolatry in the comforts of life, Jesus is just saying it's so hard for them to enter the kingdom of heaven. Verse 24, the disciples were amazed at this word or his words. But Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. I think Jesus looks at his disciple and maybe there were children around too. And he looks at them, hey, don't find your, your idolatry. Don't find your worship and the things that you earn in this life, children. Because by the time you're 40, 50 years old and you've built this little kingdom and you have your houses and your stuff and your cars and your money and your comfort, like it's that much harder to give those things up. Verse 26, the disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? <laughs> and Jesus answers, man, Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Jesus brings it right around. Right? They ask the, the obvious question then, how can anybody be saved? Right? This guy, and the disciples just didn't get it at this point, not yet. But basically they're looking, well, he was following the Ten Commandments. He looks like he's got it all together. And he's, he's this, he's, got this righteous life, you know, almost this like prosperity gospel, right? He must be doing right because he's got all this stuff. And Jesus is like, no, that's not the point. That's not the point. The point is there was nothing this man could do to earn his salvation. There was nothing this man could do to get to the point of being saved by any earthly means, but it has to be by God. So what does this tell us about God? Well, I believe it tells us that God has made a way and it is his way alone. I know this is harsh, right? This may sound harsh, but in reality, it is the most gracious way to salvation. Think about that for a minute. God says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one enters the Father. Or Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one enters the Father except through me. There's no compromise in that. There's no gray area. You have to go through Jesus to, earn, to, to receive eternal life. You have to go through Jesus to receive a connection, a relationship with God. 
There's no other way. And this may sound harsh, but think about this for a second, right? Think about this for a second. We see we don't like rules. And when there's an authority over us, we usually kind of rebel and just like, no, right? I can figure it out. But think about this for a second. If you were earning heaven solely based, solely based on your merits, think about that for a second. Be honest with yourself, right? Maybe you can be like the rich young ruler and be like, I've never murdered John. <laughs> I don't steal. I don't lie. Right? I don't talk bad about others. Right? I, I, I go to church all the time. I help the old lady across the street with her groceries. I save the cat out of the tree. Like, I don't hit my brothers and sisters. Like, like, maybe you can answer a lot of those and say, I follow those. But see, we are so much more than just an outward expression of flesh, aren't we? Jesus looks at the heart, and I know, I know if you're honest with yourself, you may not have physically murdered someone, but you've murdered somebody with your mind and your heart. I have. Man, I've fought and beat the crud out of people in my head before, <laughs> right? I may have never committed adultery with my wife, but I've lusted in my heart. I may have never stolen something physically, or at least in a long, long time. My mom broke a wooden spoon over my butt when I was little because I stole something. But the thing is, like, I don't steal, but I covet in my heart. I look at people, and I'm like, that youth pastor makes way more than me. Like, what the heck, man? Like, I want, I want that car, you know? I, see, the thing is, you guys, like, Jesus saying he is the way, the truth, and life isn't just him putting up a big boundary saying, guess what? You got to come through me, sucker. No, he's saying, listen, he's saying, I'm laying this down. This is truth, but I also will take care of it all. I will take care of all that sin. I will take care of all the brokenness. I will take care of all the separation between you and God. Every sin that you've ever committed, either outwardly or in your heart, Jesus isn't just saying, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, but he's also saying, I can say that because I've taken care of it, because I went to the cross, because I died and I resurrected three days later. You guys, think of how harsh it would be. Think of how manipulative that would be if we had to get to heaven solely on our merits. We'd all be going to hell, guys. We just would. There has to be a sacrifice, and Jesus says, I will do it. And ultimately, as Jesus lays this out to the disciples, he lays down the ultimate truth that no matter where you're at in life, no matter what you're struggling with tonight, and it may not be possession, it may not be the idea of, of, of fame and fortune and money, but you're struggling with something. And ultimately, you're holding on to that thing. And Jesus is saying, let that go and come to me. Find salvation through me. And that's the big point here. But then Jesus finishes this story because Peter, we love Peter, right? Jesus could have ended right there, but he's got to say something else in 28 through 31. Jesus, or Peter spoke up, we have left everything to follow you. <laughs> like, like that guy, you're right, you're right, Jesus. That guy didn't do it, we did it. Look at us, this guy, right? And Jesus, I could just see him looking at Peter, just smiling. Oh, Peter. Jesus replied, no one has left home or brother or sister or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in the present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecution, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. Jesus uses this opportunity, this prideful moment of Peter, to really give us a, a, a glimpse into what God's kingdom is about, you guys. Right? He's given us a glimpse of who God is, his character, and what his kingdom is about. Jesus basically lays it out that everyone that truly follows me will give up something. We'll have to sacrifice. And you guys, you guys are living in an age where it's, it's not enough to ask somebody if they're a Christian anymore. 
You need to ask, do you have Jesus living in you? Do you have the Holy Spirit moving in you? Are you walking each day by faith and faith in God? It's too easy to say nowadays, I'm a Christian. And even I can be, I can be a progressive Christian. I can be a Christian who believes things that aren't biblical because, you know, we just can today. We need to ask the question, do we have Jesus living within us? Because if we do, we truly see who he is, what he's done for us, then we are willing to sacrifice anything for him. As Jesus lays out here, we are willing to sacrifice brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers, fields, our inheritance, the things that we hold so dear, even to the point of being persecuted for it because we know how Jesus is, who he is. He then ends with this epic line, verse 31, but many who are first will be last and the last will be first. Now, I don't know if you've ever sat and actually thought and pondered on that. It's one of those verses maybe you've heard for years, but have you ever really thought what it's like or what it means as Jesus says, the kingdom of God is that the first will be last and the last will be first. I mean, it blows, it blows the paradigm, guys. It just does. Even the disciples, when they looked at the rich young ruler, they thought, this guy's got it all together. He must be blessed. He must be doing what God called him because look at everything he has. And in their human way of thinking, he deserves heaven. He deserves eternal life. Look at everything that he is doing, God. Look, at, look how holy he is. And yet Jesus is saying, no, actually, he'll be last. He'll be last. Even if he gets in, if he can give up that idolatry life, if he can give up the, the, the worship of self and money, he, he's, he, he's going to be last. When the down and out, those, and I really believe those that are children, those that are young people that have cho chosen to dedicate to Jesus, even at your guys' age, and live an entire life for Jesus, truly sacrificing and giving up for him, that's who will be first. Because you've chosen, even at a young age, to say, Jesus, you are king, you are Lord, I will give up all for you. It's an upside-down kingdom that just blows the paradigm of our human minds, you guys. And so what does this say about man? Well, it says we have the opportunity to live in the upside-down kingdom, but we have to make the choice of what kingdom we choose. Right? We have the opportunity here to live within this kingdom where the first will be last and the last will be first. We have this opportunity to live within a kingdom that is truly the narrative made for us. To live for, and to, to die for the king that created us. And really the other opposite of that is to do it for self. Like that's really what it comes down to. And so what does this even mean? The first will be last, the last will be first. Ultimately, you guys, it means that Jesus sees the heart and he sees the inner belief of who we are. And that's truly where, where it, it dictates where we stand with him. So how do we live each day in this way? And I've kind of, brought it to this, but ultimately we live each day in this way um, by just saying yes to Jesus, saying yes to his kingdom, saying yes to who he is over ourselves. And it starts with little yeses, it does, guys. It starts with little movements of serving him each and every day to where you get to the point where Jesus says, sacrifice this big thing, give it up for me. Ultimately, in my testimony, I found that when I've sacrificed for Jesus, when I've given up things for him, I find on the other side of that sacrifice that, that I, I receive it back. I receive back that passion. I receive back that thing that I gave up in, in a tenfold, hundredfold type of way. But I never would have experienced that. I would have kept my own little thing and, and never experienced truly what God was giving me if I hadn't have given that thing up. Ultimately, you guys, Mark's lesson cuts deep, no veneer. 
Rich youth's choice mirrored in fear. Christ demands all, holds nothing back. A raw ultimatum, no middle track. Renounce it all, the Savior plea. Embrace the cross, let your old self flee. The ruler clung tight. His heart grew cold. His choice was made. His fate was told. Now the question remains stark and wide in this story's grip. Where do you reside? Will you cling to comfort the riches that bind or rawly surrender your true self find? No more evasion, no space to hide. The moment is now the cross to ride. What do you decide in the rawest of calls? Choose Christ or the world as your heart's walls fall. So good. So as we finish, guys, a couple applications. Acknowledge the sin nature. First one, acknowledge the sin nature that separates you from God and daily thank Jesus for a salvation that fixed your brokenness. That's the first part of being within God's kingdom. You guys, the first and foremost is just acknowledging each day, God, I'm a sinner. I'm broken. I'm separated from you without Jesus. I need you. I need you today. That is the first part of being in the kingdom. Second, daily seek after and desire God's kingdom in your life. In those moments that, that we we see the desire of self, the flesh in front of us, choose God over that. Choose what God would have you do over that thing, and the next time it becomes easier. The next time you find yourself more within that kingdom rather than in self. Number three, live in such a way that represents Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. Don't just say it. Don't just come to church and pray the prayer or sing the worship song, but live in such a way where you truly believe where those around you know without compromise what you believe, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Live in such a way that those around you could not not say anything else about you except that person's a legit Christian. That person legitimately believes in Jesus. I think they're crazy. I think they're radical. But hey, I respect them because the fact is they believe what they believe and there's no compromise in their life. And number four, last one, see the world system as it is and choose to be about God's kingdom the upside down kingdom. See, our world system and, and like a worldview that, that's very humanistic um, is very evident, right? The strong, the wise, the rich, the powerful, the elite. These are the ones that rule. These are the ones that reign. These are the ones that, that make the rules, make the regulations. These are the ones that achieve in life. And yet those are the ones that are gonna walk through the flame of Jesus and just come out bare on the other side. They're not gonna have anything. So live in such a way, not acknowledging that power, but acknowledging God's power in the life of those around you, in your own life. So ultimately, we just come before you, Lord, and we thank you so much for your grace and your mercy tonight. Lord, bless small group time. Let it just be a time of growth and maturity. Lord, we give it to you in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope to see you at Youth Group on Tuesdays at 6 p.m. If you'd like more information about JFY or have a question, reach out to us at joshuas at calvary.com or DM us on Instagram at ymcalvary.